and welcome to What Scream, the horror movie podcast where I, your host, Ukraine, chats with a special guest every week about a certain topic or subject that I've previously randomly chosen. And we choose two films that have to do with that subject or topic. So this week is all about killer children, one of the most used tropes in uh, horror between that and freaky children, which I'm sure hopefully will pop up at some point once I pull it out of my cup of horror. But yes, this week I am joined by Mark Goddard and together we are chatting about two films that have killer children in them. Um, The first film is the Japanese action thriller Battle Royale from 2000 and the second film is 1984's Children of the Corn. So enjoy this week's episode on killer children. So I would like to introduce to the podcast for the very first time, Mark Goddard. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good, good. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. I'm, I'm good, yeah. Um, it's a, a very dark, stormy day, well, night here. So <laughs> yes, it's perfect horror movie weather. Always is this late in the, in the, uh, in the autumn. <laughs> <laughs> um, so would you like to introduce yourself and let people know who you are and what you do? Yeah, it's, it's like I said off camera, it's strange being the other side of this, but um, um, yeah, I am a movie reviewer and podcaster. I run Bloody Good Reads, um, which is a interview podcast where I interview authors and find out what their three favorite books are. Um, and I also run uh, Bloody Good Screen as well. Cool. And... Um, are you more of like a horror kind of author fan than you are movies or is it very like 50 50 or what came first for you books came first um i'm a huge film fan i mean it always have been a huge film fan that's kind of how i got most of my reviewing stuff through is all kind of film um but i grew up with books and horror was a huge thing goosebumps was a huge thing um growing up so yeah, my kind of first love is books. Always wanted to be an author. Not good enough to do it. So <laughs> I do a podcast about it instead. Uh, <laughs> which, yeah. Um, but yeah, my, that's my first love. That's why I did the podcast. I wanted to kind of promote indie authors and big names and talk to some people that I really love as well. Um, but I do love the film side of things. And this is why I kind of do the film podcast as well, because I want to kind of spread it out a bit kind of thing. So. So I take it the the love of horror kind of came from books and then went on to horror movies. Mm-hmm. And is that how it all started for you? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I'm, I'm the youngest of you know, several um, brothers. So my brother kind of got me into movies a lot of the time. Um, and my mum, strangely enough, you know, she doesn't mind the violence, just no no, uh, no rude bits. But, you know, <laughs> it's how I kind of got brought up. Death and, and all that stuff, fine. But the rest of it, no. But yeah, it's kind of through <laughs> my brother and my mum, you know, we, that's how I kind of got to get the movie side of it, so. Yeah, and do you remember what the first horror movie was you ever saw? I want to say Halloween, but I, the first one I kind of remember getting on kind of a VHS, and I swear to God, my mum didn't know what it was. Uh, it was Chucky. It was a uh, child's play. Uh, <laughs> I, I swear she didn't know, but um, I remember kind of having an old Betamax. That's how old I am. Uh, an old Betamax with um, like Halloween and. Even the Scooby the Scooby Doo show that used to be with this magical book thing instead of like the usual. But um, can I imagine? I can remember all those books. Uh, books, sorry. Remember all those films, kind of on the BMX and kind of growing up that way. Um, 
Nina wasn't allowed to watch it a lot of the time. You know, I can sit on the stairs, listen to kind of my brother and my sister watching bloody Candyman, <laughs> you know, um, and then go, oh, it's really scary. And then you kind of watching it later on and go, nah, no, it really wasn't that scary. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's always scarier when you're a child and you kind of, especially when you're, watching from like a, a hiding place whatever yeah. it's always scarier about what you make up in your mind mm-hmm. about the film and then later when you revisit it as an adult you were like really this scared me <laughs> <laughs> um so let's have a chat about our theme for the episode mm-hmm. which is killer children um now we both have children mm-hmm. um, <laughs> so what do you think it is about killer children that makes it so scary and such good fodder for horror films children are evil (laughs) (laughs) they are aren't they They they're evil little shits (laughs) there's no way around this they are horrible little beasts and uh should never have been born in the first place (laughs) but we still do it um i think just creepiness kids are creepy and some of the stuff that come out you mean again you're a parent as well some of the stuff that our kids come out with can be kind of disturbing um Especially my daughter, but <laughs> um, I think it's just that creepy edge of it, especially with like the film we're going to be watching later, Children of Corn. That is a creepy end of it, but they're also, especially nowadays, there's a lot of violence and kind of gangs and crimes and that kind of things. More to do with kind of teenagers and kids, which makes it more real on some of these things. I guess for me as well, like you always think a child is completely innocent, like completely, you know without their, you know, they, there can't be an ounce of evil in them. So when we are presented with, like, evil kids that have the capacity to kill, um, or even, you know, when it's it's not because they're evil, it's just because they have to and they kill, it's such a horrible thing to do that you don't think a child has a capacity for it. But, you know, we know through true crime and what goes on in the the, the real world that we know that children are very capable of this. Um, and when you have a child, sometimes you have to sleep with one eye open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you might <laughs> wake up the next day. <laughs> but yeah. even stuff like the supernatural end of it as well. I mean, you always kind of get the stories where kids are more susceptible to seeing ghosts. Um, so there's that innocence part of it as well. And that supernatural and the kind of possession like Poltergeist or films like that. Um, so let's begin with your choice of film. Would you like to introduce it and give us a brief synopsis, please? Battle Royale. Uh, it's my choice this time around. Um, I'd never seen it before, so I wanted to give this a try, and it is like killer kids. It's definitely killer kids. So, um, set around a kind of a time where kids have a little more, a little less respect for adults than you have nowadays. Um, there is a island where they ship off kids to, where they do a thing called Battle Royale. So this one class is drawn into pretending that <laughs> tripped into gun on a school trip. They get gassed and end up on this island um, because a teacher that they have insulted and really doesn't like these kids, hates these kids, um, decides he wants to get them to go kill themselves within three days. So one island, three days, and if it's forty-two students all together, although that gets knocked down quite quickly in the first kind of five minutes of the movie. Um, Last one to survive is the winner, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, it's very much, I mean, I'm sure we're going to talk about what it's influenced uh, later on, but it's very much, it was the starting point for stuff like Hunger Games. Um, 
So whenever someone's like being like, oh, I love the Hunger Games, I'm like, shut up, it's Battle Royale. Um, <laughs> so when when I was a teenager, I basically, I went through this stage where I would only watch like Asian films and this Battle Royale and Lady Vengeance were two films that I based my whole personality off of. Um, I was just obsessed with it. I, I love this film. I still love it. Um, I think I've watched it like three times this year already. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just so fucked up. And even though it's what, 20 odd years old now, it's still really fucked up. But as like a first time viewing, what did you think of Battle Royale? Did you like it? I loved it. I loved it. I mean, like, like you, I was brought up in my kind of teen years. I went to a lot of kind of foreign horror, um, French cinema, Japanese cinema, huge kind of influence from kind of what I love now. But I've always missed out on this one, and I don't know why I've never gone to it. <laughs> so I feel like I've missed out on something here. Um, but no, I loved it. I thought it was brutal, but not too brutal where kind of some like the French extreme films could have gone with it. So, like, if you had somebody who's not really that much into horror, would probably, could probably go into this as an action thriller film. A little bit like a John Wick kind of a you know, fan would love this as well. Um, but no, yeah, loved it. Yeah. Um, it's it, it's based on a, a novel that came out the year before by Koshan Takami. And even the novel was really, like, really controversial. Um, I was listening to a thing about the novel and they were saying that it was put in for, like, the Horror Literature Award, but the judges wanted it to win, but they felt like they couldn't let it win because <laughs> it was too disturbing. So they'd had no winners that year. They just decided there was going to be no winner. Um, and I feel like the film perfectly, like carried that on you know a lot of the times when you've got a novel and a film and it's really badly like adapted I feel like this is a really good adaptation of it um so yeah. the the themes of battle royale what do you think the subtext is there's a lot of subtext in this that you know you've got that kind of coming of age kind of a story in a way as well part of it you've got that kind of aspect of teamwork and what where you would go to kind of survive it's like a survival instinct and a lot of the kind of the main cast in this who they focus more on all have kind of their own traumas uh, you know i'm gonna i'm gonna ruin names i'm gonna, I'm gonna try to, to do names but the uh the main character he's obviously his dad committed suicide spoilers i'm okay i'm okay with spoilers in this one yeah okay cool <laughs> don't want to ruin a film for anybody um and then you've got the other lad who's helping them out. You know, his partner died in the previous Battle Royale. And um, and also I think it's a lot of, about loneliness and obsession a little bit with the teacher as well, because I think he's set this all around this one girl, which is a bit creepy. Um, but again, I think he focuses on his daughter and that closeness he has with the student is obviously the closest he wants to his daughter. It's, it's so much thrown around in this film. It's, it's, it's good. It's crazy, but it's good. Yeah. I mean, the main thing that I kind of got from it was like, so they bring out this law, the battle Royale law, because they feel that teenagers are really like, they don't respect adults. They don't respect authority and they're running amok and they're violent and, you know, wild things. And so they've brought this on to kind of 
really instill in them a fear that you know their class could be next and it's really a way of like asserting authority over um this community um but a lot of the like the adults are all blaming the kids and being like it's the kids fault and you know they have to pay the price but in the stories of the individual students a lot of the time it's adults who have failed them mm-hmm. so like you brought up um Shuya Nanahara he's dad commits suicide after his mom leaves and like he was there to find his dad's body it's it's a really horrible scene when he finds it like it's not it's it's not handled like not not saying this in a bad way but it's not handled delicately it's really horrible like the way he discovers his dad um so he's got that and then um noriko who is the the main girl like she's been bullied really badly and obviously nothing's been done. And then she's got this teacher who seems to be focusing his mm-hmm. affections, weird affections her, in some way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you've got other ones who, you know, have been mistreated by all the adults in their life. Um, uh, is it, what's his name? The, the, the best friend of Nanahara. Is it Sh- Shogo maybe? Yeah. Shogo. No, no, that's whoever. Yeah. Yeah. I know you mean. <laughs> I can't remember which one it is. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's kind of failed a lot and it's only through the help of his peers that he's kind of put his life back on track. And it just feels like the adults are looking for someone to blame for their own, like their own failures. And they're just going to blame it on these kids and make them kill each other. Yeah. It's how you kind of picture it to be nowadays <laughs> you know it's yeah. <laughs> the kid these kids will have their own traumas but it doesn't help the, the, the parents should be helping them kind of get over their their traumas but they're not having the chance to um there, there, there is no kind of calm in hand it was all got out of hand instead so yes um so what did you think of the setup because one of my favorite scenes is where they're in the classroom and they've got that really animated woman <laughs> you know she's really like she kind of seems a bit j-pop and like you know um super kawaii and she's basically telling them about this what did you think of that kind of contrast between that world and what they're actually going through it's got that little bit of dark humor to it i love it it's it's very it is very kind of japanese um i think it sets it off really well it's kind of like hi guys you're gonna kill each other there you go haha um it, it's, it's in a way it's mocking them as well it's yeah but it's got that, that, that kind of dry humor to it and even with the teacher he has that throughout the whole film so when he does when he does all of the kind of on the several hour uh, sorry, <laughs> get words ahead of me. Uh, all, all the announcements, he has his little jokes in there as well. And he seems to have that kind of dark humor to him as well. It, it it breaks up that tension a little bit as well. So it's not just all murder, 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 murder. It has that kind of little bit of extra in it. But no, I love the setup. I mean, that, that whole, fir- the f- whole first scene, it sets it up completely for you. You know, there is no hold barred in this. And the teacher don't give a shit. So. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, he literally kills, like, a couple mm-hmm. of the pupils. Like five students in one and go. he's like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, no, I shouldn't have killed you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh well. Then later, on, he, he, then later on, he comes and gives the girl an umbrella, <laughs> just out of nowhere. That was just kind of a random scene in the end of yeah. that. But, you know. Yeah, it's it's really weird. The um, We'll get onto it, but the ending is a bit 
you're just that is also a really good example of like the dry humor as well um with the ending um so what was your favorite kill i have to ask because there's so many so what what one was your favorite kill um i think the suicide part um where she throws herself off the lighthouse the lead up to that that was a great setup where she tries to poison the food and they all just kill each other and then the girl just gets up and goes we could have survived all this and just yeah, that was that was a really great scene. Generally, um, just this whole setup for that whole scene and her regret afterwards. It's touching at the end of that part as well. So you kind of have that kind of strained again, dark humor, and then you hit with something that is just so devastatingly brutal. I think that's kind of one. It kind of that is the film to me. That's kind of what I would see the film as. And there's a couple of other murder scenes with oh, I forgot her name now. The main villain girl with the side with, with the sickle. Most of her deaths are amazing. Yes, most of her death her kill scenes are great. But. Yeah, I really like. She's like my favorite character because you've introduced these two other guys. Uh, one of them's Koada, and I can't remember the other one. But they volunteer to do this, um, and they're set up as like really ruthless, and you know they don't have any emotional ties to any of the other class, so they're just going to go out and kill everyone. Um, whereas she, you don't expect mm. it of a female really especially when a lot of the females in this class have been set up to be quite meek um where she's just like you know what lads like I just I don't care I really don't care I want to survive this and it's really interesting to see that kind of point of view compared to um you know the the main protagonist female who's very you know i i want to help people i want to save people um and i just really like the dichotomy between those two i don't think the the main protagonist girl actually kills anybody in this one no so it's that that contrast between between the two but the main villain of it she pretty much goes into it straight away as well so she's literally straight in so um yeah <laughs> i think some of them, I think a lot of them in this movie <laughs> but the i mean the two lads who kind of sign up to it i mean one of them has pure kind of i don't know how your kind of jrpg kind of feel to it but it's a j it has that kind of jrpg final final boss battle kind of thing to him um so you you kind of know he's going to be the one you need to get rid of, even though it, there's not much of him in it, which is a shame because I think maybe they should have kind of made her the main kind of final boss. So yes, coming to the end, the so it turns out that um, the three of them, the one who survived one of the previous battle royales, and he's coming back for to get revenge on the fact that his girlfriend died during battle Royale, uh, him. And then the two main male and female protagonists, um, (laughs) they fake their death. And then the whole thing's called off and the teacher's decided to stay. And he's just, you know, doing his little exercises in the yard. And then we find out that they've all survived and they're all kind of going towards the teacher to get their revenge. Um, what did you think of this ending scene? I think it sets it up m- about midway when the kind of the computer geeks have made their kind of obvious state. They're the microphone in it. So you forget about it though. So you do obviously think he has killed them both just to kind of get out of it. And that would kind of 
match the meekness of this movie, like the bleakness of this movie, until it kind of comes out that he has this, the teacher has this weird obsession with this girl, which is creepy enough. It's good. It's good that they get in, that they they escape. It's a shame that the guy kind of has to die at the end. <laughs> but it turns into you no. Know, they they go on the run. You know they can't live the way that they once did, and they have no life to go back to now. So it's kind of pushed them into a life where you're never going to trust anybody again. And yeah, um, but I do think the teacher he. He adds a lot to this film, even though it is a creepy, <laughs> you know, lusty, dirty pervert. Apart from that, <laughs> but I think he adds a lot to it. Uh, I think he kind of expect he wanted them to win, and that's why he kind of stops it. You know, you could, you, they could have gone in there, and made sure they were, were dead, but I think he kind of, in his own mind, knew that they were still alive. Yeah, I think especially when he unveils the painting as well, which is so weird. Like, did he paint that? Did he get someone else to paint that? When did he have time to paint this? Um, it's just, and it's it, it has the the girl in the middle of it with this like saintly halo, and you know, it's just it's such a weird she also thing. Has that, but it doesn't feel. She quite has a dream as well about him. Oh yeah, right. even even worse. So. Then it kind of throws into question of why is she dreaming about him and why is he obsessed with her? Yeah. Yeah, it's all questions you don't want to ask, yeah, really. <laughs> a little bit nefarious. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what did you think of the killer children in this? Now, they're not strictly, like, kill apart from the ones who want to kill. Yeah. They're kind of been forced into this situation. Um, so what did you think of it from the basis of our theme? Maybe you should have gone for a different film. But... <laughs> <laughs> I do still think it stands. I think it's they're, they're kids, they're teenagers, and they are killing. And they do show that kind of want to kill. Half of these kids are so okay with it. It is weird to see where some of them still have it in them, even though they've got that meekness to them. Um, like your main protagonist has, he said he'll always protect her, and that's why he ends up shooting hell out of the teacher at the end that's kind of thing probably one of his only real real proper kills apart from the accidental kill earlier on in the movie it goes to show that even at that age you can still be that violent and i think nowadays you do see that quite a lot as well so kind of it's a film that's about 20 years old still fits into today's world which is crazy to think about. Really. <laughs> so I think it still sits in with the with the killer kids. The children probably would have been a better movie to pick, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, would you recommend Battle Royale? To oh, definitely. Fans? If you don't, if you are into your Japanese horror, you need to see this. And I really regret not seeing this earlier on in kind of my film watching. Um, if you love stuff like Old Boy as well, this would fit into that exact kind of kind of bundle. Um, but even starting out, this is saying that I'd show a non-horror fan as well as a horror fan. Um, it's, it's bloody, but not too bloody compared to what we get nowadays. So it's, it's it's violent, but still quite tame compared to a lot of stuff we get. So, no, definitely. Yeah, and it's like I said earlier, like it's it's influenced stuff like the Hunger Games and you know certain video games as well where it's like kill everyone and be the last one standing um so yeah i i love battle royale i will always recommend it i will also recommend not to watch the sequel i watched the trailer of it yesterday it looks awful (laughs) (laughs) 
It is awful. Don't do it. Um, the the original director of Battle Royale died um, just as it was going in production, into production. So his son decided to take it over. And unfortunately, he didn't quite live up to his father's legacy. Was it a, was the second one a book as well? Or was it just they made a random film? No, they just made a random film. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough, they tried. They gave it their best. Um, So let's move on to the second film then, which was my choice. Um, I chose to do Children of the Corn, which is a 1984 adaptation of a Stephen King short story. Um, It centers around this town called Gateland in Nebraska, and it kind of centers on there's this evil demonic entity in the corn um, that they call he who walks behind the rose and it causes the town's children to go on murderous sprees where they kill all the adults and they set up their own little cult um, that they have to kind of ensure that there's a successful corn harvest and it's led by this the freakiest kid I've ever seen in my whole entire life, this kid called Isaac. And then his second in command is um, Malachi. Mm-hmm. And they are the f- two freakiest kids you could have ever got for this film. Um, perfect casting, in my in my opinion. Um, so there's these two, this couple who are driving, trying to get to another town, um, Bert and Vicky. Vicky played by um, Linda Hamilton. And they accidentally run over one of the children who are trying to escape and then they get dragged into this whole mess. Um, so what do you think of Children of the Corn? Hmm. The ironic thing is, it's a running joke on the podcast, is I'm going to ban Stephen King books because that's all people pick. You had to pick a Stephen King film. <laughs> um, I'd never seen it before, so I was like, you know what? It's your first time. I, this is my third time with this one and the sequel's don't watch sequels um i've seen them a couple of times before but um i don't mind it's a very slow burn it's not as kind of entertaining in a way as say like christine or it was um but it still holds itself today even though it has got like 20 million sequels uh, <laughs> but no I, I i i didn't mind this one i think it was it was quite good it's pretty much just wicker man with corn <laughs> Um, yeah, and uh, Christopher Lee is played by a creepy nine-year-old yeah. or however old he was. Um, yeah, I I thought it was entertaining, but for probably very different reasons. I just loved how silly it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but like I said, really good casting on the kids' part, like especially Isaac and Malachi. Malachi like Isaac creepy. is so... <laughs> Oh, they're both really creepy. Like the opening scene where all the adults are murdered in the diner and Isaac is just staring through the window. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> like, if my kid ever turned out like that, I'd be putting him up for adoption. But I think um, John Franklin plays Isaac. He was born in 1959. This film came out in 1984. So he wasn't a kid when he was in this movie. <laughs> so he's like 30. Yeah, it's very creepy. <laughs> 20 odd oh my god yeah because he 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 also plays cousin it in the family uh in adam's family as well so i was like i mean that makes sense because when i was looking at him i was like oh my god it's like an adult in a child like in a child that makes a lot of sense now okay well it's still really good casting because 
it was just it was really good. But he yeah. plays that creepy looking preacher really well. <laughs> yeah, it fits fits perfectly. Yeah, because that's what he's meant to represent, isn't he? He's meant meant to represent like a preacher, basically, but in child form. Um, yeah. Okay. Now I'm kind of like slightly dumbfounded by that. But yeah, Malachi, he was an actual child, I wasn't he? So. <laughs> Let's say but, yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> he's really good because he's he he comes across as like really scary, but in a like a violent way. Whereas Isaac is more kind of malevolent and kind of quietly insidiously scary um and apparently he got the job because he held one of the casting directors hostage <laughs> with a knife nice. <laughs> <laughs> this is like that, that human centipede two story <laughs> just weird ways of getting, like, getting casted <laughs> oh, that's hilarious um so what do you think are the themes and the subtext of Children of the Corn. It's all about cults, isn't it? It's 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 just how easily one kids could get manipulated into doing stuff, um, and two, just cult leaders and how good they are. And even with the when they're journeying through in the car, they have the radio on, and it is preachers. So that kind of that kind of area is synonymous with preachers. So they've obviously grown up in that kind of religious background kind of Amish way in a little bit because it's all the, all the cornfields and what else. So that's creepy in, at the start anyway because it's very isolated and isolation can lead to a lot of this kind of stuff. Like I guess it kind of when you're looking at it from a cult way it's 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 how kind of cults prey on the vulnerable and on the the innocent um like children and it's always children that are kind of the worst off in cults they're always the ones that like are abused or you know outcast if they do anything wrong um so yeah i i looked at it as well though because obviously stephen king doesn't like children um, <laughs> <Obviously> not. <laughs> hates children um i kind of looked at it about this fear of children um fear of them kind of not obeying authority um and what that would entail, like from an adult's point of view, that the kids are going to rise up and form their own little gang and kill us all. Um, what did you think of that viewpoint? No, actually thinking of, thinking of it from that point, yes. And, it, and that kind of matches in with Battle Royale as well. It's that uprising of, of kids and not to kind of listening to authority. It's kind of fearful when you've got kids <laughs> of your own and you're like, I want to be an authority. Like, a voice of authority but please don't kill me it's for your own good I swear another thing that's quite scary about this like this idea in this film is how easy it is for the kids to uh, like kill and kill their own as well because they kill other kids as well um, and how easy it is for them because they're not under a magic spell they're literally doing this just because Isaac said that he's in touch with an entity um, and it that's another thing like I mean we talked about battle royale but they were really yeah. forced into this situation they had no choice whereas these kids did have yeah. a choice and it's almost scary how easy they slipped into it easy manipulation as well which you know, I could be controversial and say that's what religion's like, but you know, it's it that kind of religious aspect of it. And I mentioned Wicker Man before as well. You got your own little community, and you'll do anything to protect that community. And 
instead of obviously being put in a big wicker man, they get put on a cross and sacrificed to a god. And we, it's a bit of fear as well because they fear Isaac. You know, he's coming in here saying this, this, this entity is coming to you know give us everything, and you know, death will all, all, all grown ups. What would happen if you didn't listen to him? Well, so that fear, that kind of obedience to this one guy who seems to be in touch with God. And it is very kind of, it is God in through a lot of this movie until we get to this weird Tron creature, which seems to be at the end of it. Or the end or the end scene of Halloween 3, which is basically what that creature looked like. <laughs> so. Yeah, one thing that really threw me is when Isaac was up on the, the corn cross and then all of a sudden we get this... <laughs> The strangest special effects I've ever seen in my whole entire life. Um, I was not expecting that. That ruins the film. It really, it really does. It. <laughs> you could have really done it. You could have put. You could have put somebody on fire. You know, would have yeah. done much else. Yeah, just that strange cartoonish kind of contrast effect. It's just, it was so weird. And then Isaac comes back from the dead, and you're like, what the? <laughs> it's like the worst side of Buffy, basically. <laughs> <laughs> we get that really bad CGI, and you go, "I'll, I'll, I'll, I'll be okay with that." Yeah. But that, that, that's fine. But in this film, it doesn't match. So. <laughs> um, yeah. So, what did you think of the ending? Um, in my personal opinion, I thought it was a bit too happy. <laughs> yeah, it didn't have to be happy. It, you get a random jump scare, which is just pointless anyway, because all, all the kids were like, "Yeah, right, fine." That, I'm fucking off now. Uh, <laughs> let's just, yeah, I'm gone. Um, and then this one girl's just still kind of, but then again, that shows you the manipulation part of it is that she was so into Malachi. And that was, that, that's mostly it. I mean, Isaac's not really kind of the main protagonist in this. It's mainly Malachi. He's the main kind of entity that people seem to be scared of more than, than Isaac. But no, this, uh, yeah, it's a bit too too happy. Happy go lucky. There's another film, like, like the Conjuring film, Conjuring 2. And after all that went on, it's just so happy. Oh, everything's fine now. The Warrens have done it all for you. It's all, 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 all better now. We'll, we'll go back to your normal lives. We're going to adopt these two children. That's that yeah. easy. <laughs> it's just, you know, let's all go right off into the sunset. And uh, these two kids will never need therapy. Um, <laughs> no, they, they seem very happy. <laughs> they seem ecstatic that they watched their parents yeah. getting murdered. Um, <laughs> It's just such, but it's so 80s though. Like it's so that era. Oh, it's very. Um, yeah. I, I am glad I watched it. Um, would I recommend it to people? Probably not. <laughs> not going to lie. <laughs> it does suffer from the Stephen King curse. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the early day Stephen King, apart from Chris Dings, I love Chris I've actually Dings. never seen um, that either. So Christine is really good. If you do a, 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 an episode on Killer cast and that's a great one to watch um that and rubber do them two together it'd be perfect um but christine was really good and obviously the, the it tv series is a classic as well but there's a lot of the stuff he did early on which isn't great doesn't hold up I've, I've been very vocal on the podcast before about not being a fan of the shining kill me but uh, <laughs> you know that got me a lot of heat but um it falls into that kind of category as well for me that it's it's doesn't hold up very well. We're, put this against Battle Royale. Battle Royale stands up really well. This one, no. <laughs> so it's, yeah. Do you think this is kind of going a little bit off topic, but kind of talking about Stephen King, do you think there's so much 
with the the success of stuff like Carrie, um, The Shining, even though Stanley Kubrick's version isn't quite Stephen King's version, um, do you think there was just such, and there still kind of is, there's such a rush to do Stephen King adaptations so it can be the next Shining or the next Carrie or the next It? And do you think that that's why a lot of these adaptations suffer? Yeah. I think he's got such a back catalog. I know he has... I think some type of deal that he's done which takes some of his lesser known stories and it's funded where he gives a bit more funding for people to adapt that's the word um, some of his lesser known stuff um, which then falls into the trap of it ends up on Netflix it ain't good it's Gerald's game a bit cringe and because he's such a big name it's an entry point this is kind of why I, I tried to put a ban on Stephen King books on the podcast because I there's so much more than him out there. But he is the entry point for about ninety eight percent of people who want to get into horror. So you're going to do it if you want to get people into the genre. Throw Stephen King at something, and it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Um, I like I was a massive Stephen King fan when I was younger. Um, reading all his books but yeah I definitely feel like a lot of the adaptations I'm just kind of like oh can we just leave him alone now like let's let's stop like you know let's just leave it Um, and I don't need any more remakes or you know let's just put a line under it No more remakes. <laughs> no, 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 no more TV length yeah, series no, please, no. Um, so would you recommend Children of the No <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm not happy you made me sit through it again. <laughs> um it's fine for what it is. If you're going for like a franchise binge, you could do it. It's not as bad as the later Hellraiser movies. Um and that's a stretch. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I, I I wouldn't recommend it. Um just it just, just doesn't live up to what it probably had to, yeah yeah back in the day yeah. but no no yeah, we're gonna banish it to the banals of room 101 was that that what that tv show was called it yeah. was i'll show you right down there into room yeah. 101 <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i was i mean i i found it very entertaining while i was watching it today and you know it made me chuckle but i'd never watch it again no, but that could be a good point to watch it just for the shits and giggles, really. But you know, and it's kind of just like even Linda Hamilton's quite bad in it. Um, whether it just suffers from bad screenplay, um, bad script, she's quite she's quite like hammy in it, but not in a good way. It's one of her earlier ones as well. This is this was before Terminator kind of shot her up into kind of you know stardom. A little bit like Jennifer Aniston when she did Leprechaun. Or, uh, you know, a lot of people started off in horror. I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio started off in Critters. So, <laughs> you know, but I think it's, it's that, that starting off in the in horror curse. It's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're never going to have a good first movie. Horror, so. <laughs> Unless you're like Anna Taylor-Joy or, you know, people like that. Nowadays, people seem yeah. to start in yeah. horror. Yeah, no, yeah. nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> You know, look at Terrifier 2. I mean, the late lead actress in that was amazing. The film's messed up, but she is amazing in that role, and that's one of her kind of first major roles. She's going to go really far with that. I think it's done so well as a film as well. 
yeah. nowadays horror is so much more celebrated as mm. well, which helps. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet because I just have to put aside two and a half hours of my life to uh, to terrify, which is something I never thought I'd have to say. It goes very quick. Okay, okay. Well, that's all right. As long as it doesn't have any massive dialogue scenes, I'm okay. There's very okay. little dialogue scenes. Yes. <laughs> Um, so out of, I kind of know your answer, but I have to ask because it's part of the podcast. (laughs) Out of the two films, if you had to recommend, which one would you recommend? (laughs) Definitely Children of the Corn. No, definitely Battle Royale. Um, no, Battle Royale, I I, I really love this film and I will watch the second one just because I'm curious, but, um, it makes me want to go out and watch some more kind of J-horror and Japanese stuff from back then as well. So it, yeah, go out and see it. (laughs) <laughs> and read it as well read, read the novel and there's the manga as well i read all the manga and that's probably more messed up actually than the actual film is um Most yeah <laughs> yeah holds up um yeah i mean it's a funny one because when we think about killer children we think more of children of the corn but for mm. good viewing i'd go with battle royale and just its impact in pop culture i'd go with battle royale um i kind of feel like i need to do an ep- another episode on killer children though because it was so difficult to choose i i had loads there straight away when you sent me the email i was like yep this one this one this one this one this one i haven't seen battle royale so i'm gonna pick that <laughs> but no i'd say the children is definitely one which is horribly brutal at points which is definitely worth a watch yeah and then there's um just while we're doing recommendations uh eel which is the french film that kind of the strangers is loosely based on um oh them oh yes that's amazing love that film love that um i was gonna go for the orphan but i was like that's kind of cheating because it's not really a killer child (laughs) yeah she's not a child (laughs) although neither was isaac apparently so um yes but there's there's plenty of i i was kind of thinking about pet cemetery as well uh with gage um and yeah that that's some good recommendations there actually (laughs) yeah um so before we go i always ask my guests what is your favorite horror film (laughs) i have two answers to that all-time favorite scream 2 i love scream 2 it's more than Scream 1, I don't know why. I think it's got a lot of good memories watching it with my mum. And, you know, it's one of my memories from, you know, before she passed. And it's the same that's always stuck with me. It's always, even with the extremely cringe dan- uh, singing and dancing scene uh, right in the middle of it. But I think, unlike the first one, we can kind of guess maybe it's the boyfriend. You don't know in this one watching it first time around who's going to be the killer. And it's kind of kept me going on screen all the way through to the new ones as well and i've loved every single one um modern day wise hush on netflix which i thought was a modern masterpiece and everybody's gonna see that one it's just so tense the use of sound even though she can't hear as well it's so perfectly done it's one of the yeah i definitely gonna see it or i'd also recommend i know three of them i'm cheating probably i'm really sorry um this is why I do free choices every time I book. <laughs> it's just so hard to pick. Um, summer of 84, I think it's 84 or 86. Summer of 86, which is on Shudder, which has the most amazing final monologue in it. Do whatever have. It's such a perfect film. Love that film completely. So yes, that's my free picks. <laughs> yeah, Hush is a funny one. I did an episode on Hush. Um, mm. We're talking about house invasions. And I've watched Hush three times. 
and I wouldn't be able to tell you what happens in them. I switch off. I don't like fall asleep or anything. I just switch off during hush. Just blank, just blank out. out. And I, I figured it's probably because there is no sound that I just, it just causes me to blank out. Yeah. I'm not a big Flanagan fan either. So I really struggle with his, that's, his uh, works. That's the only one of his I've actually really enjoyed. The TV shows I can't do. I, can't, I haven't gotten to the TV shows. But I am a huge fan of home invasion films because it's something about home invasion and being so close to home scares the crap out of me. <laughs> you know. Um, and that's why I love Dem so much. For Dem was a hell of a lot better than The Strangers. So, you know, that's kind of my genre. And that's you know, that's why I kind of drew, get drawn to it quite, yeah. quite a lot. Mm. But, yeah. Fair enough. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking about creepy-ass children. Um <laughs> If people would like to find you, will you plug yourself and plug your podcasts and where they can find you on social media? God, I hate doing this. <laughs> um, so you can find the podcast anyway, iTunes, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, no, Apple Podcasts, I said that one already, uh, Amazon Podcasts, anywhere you can find your podcast. Uh, it's Bloody Good Reads, and that is a weekly podcast um, if you are into horror and crime fiction. I've spoken to some amazing people on there and they, hopefully you'll find you know a book that they love that you love as well so you know even if you don't know the author it's really worth checking it out um and every month i do this bloody good screen which is just a movie review podcast where we just talk films for an hour and just talk shit find out what we hate and what we don't hate it tends to be stuff we hate <laughs> but you can catch me over on um twitter at bloody good reads uh, instagram bloody good reads you know the usual places so so that was my chat there with mark goddard about killer children and we talk about 2000's battle royale from japan as well as 1984's children of the corn what did you think about this week's episode let us know on twitter at what underscore scream and don't forget to also rate review subscribe to whatever podcast platform you are listening to us on um i hope everyone is having a good festive period and Happy holidays. And next week will be our festive special between uh, the main episode, What a Scream, myself and Ruby Noir will be talking about uh, a very cult classic Christmas horror. And then we will both be back on for movies, Murder and Mayhem, where we'll be having a a semi-Christmassy themed true crime, true horror episode um so yes i hope everyone is doing fine i hope everyone's looking after themselves and don't forget stay horrific goodbye